Anyone who knows me personally, or well, has ever been in the same room as me, is aware of a few things. I love my gadgets, I tend to talk way too much, and I drop things. A lot. I wouldn't say I'm clumsy by nature per se, I just only really have one speed, and that speed usually lends itself to very costly slabs of metal and glass being turned into temporary frisbees until gravity steps in and does what it does best. Now, based on the number of quarter inch thick cases I see on virtually every piece of consumer electronics out there in the wild, I get the impression I'm not alone. You get out of the car and your phone takes a tumble. You plug in your laptop, that's when the dog runs by and you really wish you had MagSafe. Or, not saying this has happened to me, but you're 100% sure that shelf can support a TV because you definitely remember the drywall anchors, right? So what does all this mayhem and potential destruction add up to? Devices that, at best, have some bumps and bruises from the journey, but often enough, things just tend to break. And with the ever-growing importance they have in our daily lives, what do we do when we break them? The question coming more and more into focus, both in the industry and frankly beyond, is this then. When it comes time to fix it, who should be able to do it? How much should it cost? And sadly, should it even be possible? Set down that screwdriver, secure your OtterBox Defender, and let's talk our way through what's next for the right to repair. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's Solid State Podcast. I'm your host, John Joyce. I'm Eric Sargent. And I'm Cody Toscano. And we are back this week with one major dramatic improvement, and that is the sound of one Cody Toscano not <laughs> yeah. sounding like it's coming from inside of a Coke can. Right. And I'm, I, I'm only with no pre-warning, by the way, calling him out because um, Cody did something that previously was only something I could do, which was pack every single thing you could have needed to record a podcast, <laughs> headphones, laptop, cables solar panel but not a mic nope i <laughs> got home it was still hanging right there on the crane i was like <laughs> dang it perfect it's right where you needed it yeah that's where we are we are here this week three for three on at least semi-passable audio quality yes, yes. so we're really we're really hitting on all cylinders this bright beautiful friday morning that's way too early for a bright beautiful friday morning yes. but I digress already. Um, they missed we're my voice, jump... you know. Yes, that's right. The, the, the people have spoken. Yes. The emails that were torrenting <laughs> in the last six days of, you know, you know. When's Cody going to be back at his microphone? <laughs> yeah. Where's those sweet, sweet tones of Cody? We can't work with this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, much like we have repaired that. Did you like that? Did you see it coming? Yes. Um, mm -hmm. no. Intended. <laughs> for, the fences. Yeah. for our audience, they had a right to have that repaired. So we are going to extend that horrendous metaphor into talking about something that is, it's so funny to me because it is rapidly talked about amongst yeah. a certain subset of, especially the technology, just broader community, but certainly beyond that too, because it has an impact environmentally and from a societal perspective and just, you know, overall responsibility, but also how we think about the corporations that make and peddle us these devices on a minute by minute basis. So bringing it all the way back full circle, we're here to talk this week about, you know, what's next for the right to repair. You know, it, it, it almost started as a thing about because, you know, what's going on with right to repair. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, honestly, if all we did was talk about the thing about right to repair, it would be a four minute episode, honestly. And, th and that's why we need to talk yeah. about it, because for all the little 
and I do mean little bursts of fanfare that it gets when insert big corporate name here does anything to make their devices more repairable. Um, it, it has its minute and then it's gone. And then we're still left with, I'm just going to skip right to the end, right? From a here and now today perspective, we're still left with a bunch of devices that when you break them, there's a better than good chance you're just shopping for a new one. And that's, right. that's their, that's their point all mm-hmm. along. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and we'll get into some of the, the, the deeper whys behind this, but my long felt belief is the repairability conversation is one of the most tangible examples of companies bowing to either public pressure or more likely regulatory pressure, but mm-hmm. 0.0001% more than is the absolute barest minimum. Yeah. Minimum effort for sure. Just enough, just enough to somebody will sign off and say, yes, you did what we asked you to do. Good job. You mm-hmm. put yeah. a screw where there used to be a dollop of super glue. Like, like really that's, that, that's as far as they get. And you know, we, we, we talk a lot about Apple on this show and um, normally in a very good light. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, make apologies for it. We are fans of their products, fans of their services. I mean, they are not a perfect company by the longest of shots, but on the whole, all three of us own and use many of their devices. I'm using several of them right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I have never shied away from criticizing them you know we said they say we criticize we criticize things we love well i've also never <laughs> had an issue with criticizing apple <laughs> or any of their other practices and, w- and one of them has long been the repairability of their devices and their constant game of oh really europe oh really washington you want to throw a regulation at us here's a pelican case mm-hmm. and yeah. here's what I, what we mean by that and what i wanted to open this up with because it's one of the most visibly tangible examples, right? Apple stepped up to broad criticisms uh, a couple years ago of the gross inability to repair their devices. Truly, mm-hmm. it it was a mammoth undertaking or you were just all but certainly going to break your device more to make mm-hmm. the most basic of repairs to them. Mm-hmm. And um, their answer was nothing less than, I believe it's, 80 pounds worth of equipment. They ship you a mobile repair store. All the tools that that a repair store would have. Yeah. On wheels. So to put that in perspective, you could not bring the tools you need to replace the battery on your iPhone onto an airplane without checking your luggage. Mm -hmm. Seriously. So it's 80 pounds worth of equipment in two rolling Pelican cases. They place a $1,300 hold on your credit card until they get the equipment back. I'm sure the stuff's not cheap, but there's... That's what it came to. (laughs) No, this is one of those sweeping, there's got to be a better way moments, right? It's just Mm -hmm. this screams of, oh, we're going to make it repairable all right. And then you're going to look at it and say... Do I want to take delivery of 80 pounds worth of gear, sit on a big fat credit card hold, still have to take my device apart, which the, you know, the, the transitive property of pain in the butt says that if they have to send me all of that, am I really going to want to use all of it to replace my battery? Yeah. Or do I just want to see what the trade in value right. is on my phone and yeah. go get a new one? I mean, and that's the, that's the Am I gonna put it together properly? Right. Yeah, that's right. the that's the biggest thing in this is 
who would actually be able to do this? There is, I can think of, of the, all the people that I know of that own an iPhone that would probably be physically capable and mentally capable of using that repair kit to properly repair the phone. They're probably sitting right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Seriously. Like, no, I wouldn't want my parents to take receipt of that kit and try to repair it. My dad's a very handy guy. I can't imagine him working on an Apple phone with all the mm-hmm. little ribbon cables and all the little finicky things inside that when you have the to open microscopic it up screws. It. Yeah. Yeah. It would be impossible for 99% of the people out there. So it is, it's, this is literally just a gesture for show. Yep. I would love to see the numbers. How many people have actually, actually. requested that? Mm-hmm. Right. And then successfully repaired their phone. And then it's actually, yeah, successfully. <laughs> yeah, the time turnaround, like you said, John, versus just going in and be like, can I trade this in for part off of a new iPhone right. or whatever? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was time for a new one anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, right. And I, I do think the the trade-in culture of, especially the last couple of years, you know, we saw like trade-in value spike during the pandemic, obviously, mm-hmm. and the supply chain shortages. But like the, a lot of that has stuck around where it almost feels like the unspoken answer to all this is just, well, sure, just go trade in your device. We'll give you, you know, 50% off the new. And they're like, okay, mm-hmm. so I can go through all this or just pay half for a new one. And then I've got a new one and, 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 and. So I just don't think that that's a false economy, right? That's mm-hmm. not the same thing as maybe I don't want a new one. And by the way, this has never been me once. But speaking <laughs> for the metaphorical person out there, maybe yeah. I don't want a new one. Maybe I like the one I have. And I just want to put a new battery in it. Right. That's the bare minimum, I think, for the devices. And I agree with them on that point. And I get that it, like, you know, adds complexity to the cases and you lose space and then lose battery, you know, capacity and all that. But being able to swap out your battery, being a part that is considered by the company selling you the phone to be a replaceable part, like, right, you will need to replace your battery after a couple of years. It costs X amount of dollars to replace it. That is. The fact that they do that and then don't offer an easy way for you to just self swap out your battery is a little suspect. And I get that, but. And as a market, we've, we've not, we've done this. I will willfully take a certain percentage of the blame, right? As a consumer who buys these products, because we do want the phone to be as thin. You, you made the good point, Eric. We want the devices because I should I should stop saying just phone because this is a problem that we're going to get into yeah. that's far broader oh, than yeah. just our phones. Oh, yeah. The phones are mm-hmm. just the most ubiquitous example of it. But we want the phone to be as thin as possible. We want it to be as solid as possible. We want to have the biggest possible battery. And again, why do not consider that an excuse? And we're going to get very, very mid-level into why we've armed them with the excuse. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, to maximize the size of the battery to this, yeah. to make, to protect its waterproof rating, because apparently people just need to be able to dive into a swimming pool with their phone. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, yeah. Waterproof is really, definitely that feature that everyone like, you like yeah. to see it. You're like, Ooh, okay, it, perfect. <laughs> it, it is, you know, IP 68, 67, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. You know, like that where we're giving them the ammunition for like, well, you know, if you want those things, then this is what we have to do. And this is why. Oh, totally. And, Sure, but I, I'm sorry. I, I and I'm not a design engineer of this type. Never have been. Never will be. But the iPhone 14 line is a very interesting example of. And I realize there are some like physical materials differences as well. The Pro 
line of phones has a glass finish back versus the non-glass on the non-pro, right? Um, I just don't think that's a good enough example for why one is held together primarily with screws and one is held together primarily with glue. Mm -hmm. And the fact of the matter is the quote unquote expensive one with pro on the end of the name is the one held together with glue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They don't want you taking those phones. (laughs) Those phones are nearly the same thickness. They have relatively comparable batteries. The only major difference is the glass versus the metal. And sorry, I'm not buying it. Well, I did buy it sitting on the desk, but you know what I mean? Like I'm not mm-hmm, buying yeah. the excuse yeah. um, right. that that's the reason why well, I, I think it's much more of a, well, we realize this is the one that people are going to buy more of. So we better prioritize its repairability and the, you know, the, the, the people I'll be kind myself included that buy the quote unquote expensive one. We know that they're also going to be the ones that if they crack the back, they're just going to want to get a new one anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. That's crappy. They're just hedging their bets, yeah. And and we've and we've placed this squarely on Apple so far, and this is where I will hedge it out much broader than because this is true across a massive, massive swath of the industry, and it's been going on for a very, very long time. Even the quote unquote efforts to improve the situation are relatively recent, and they are mostly um half gestures at best but eric mm-hmm. you were talking as we were prepping for the show this morning yeah. um when we're going to get into I, I hate to say it several more examples of broader devices that are just naturally difficult to repair because there's so many more of them but yeah. you did mention a couple examples of you know where and this is just this is the beautiful market at work when something like this becomes a hot button issue for enough people a it drives the market forward to hopefully get better but it also opens the door for one of our favorite topics, new competition, new blood to enter the market, because it, it, that, that's a differentiator, right? To go in from day one and say, I'm going to make a device that does this, this, and this, and those things being an immediate differentiator from the market dominant position, that's an opportunity, right? That's, that, yeah. that is the best parts of competition mm-hmm. in the market at work. So um, I'll, I'll hand it over to you for you know, some of those examples of places where there is some improvement by design. Yeah. These are not people retroing an existing product to meet a bare necessity. They designed their devices to be this way from go. Right. Yeah. So the biggest one is um, is the Fairphone. Um, yeah. They they're the they're the one that's like the most well known, I guess, out there. They haven't. I don't see a new model since 2021. So it's been a couple of years since they did a new model. But their 2021 model and then the two previous models before that all score a 10 on their repairability which is the highest that it goes. Um, right. And everything is in there with regular screws. Um, nothing's glued in to place. Uh, battery is swappable very easily. You just pull off the back and the battery can slide right out, slide a new one in. Even the cameras you can pull out. They just have a little um, oh, connector, nice. not even mm-hmm. like a ribbon connector. It's like a little, like it slots into the motherboard on right. there. You can pull the whole motherboard out different parts of the motherboard can come out like it's it's very very repairable you can pull the whole thing apart and put it back together without feeling like you're going to break anything which is right pretty massive when it comes to a device like that and again these phones do not even when they were new and when this newest one fairphone 4 was new in 2021 it did not have the top of the line 
specs. It was right. a, it was no, a, it was a it mid-level. Was, it was phone. a mid-range. So, it was a mid-range. Yeah. It was like so many examples. These are because they're from companies that that's their most likely place to even be able to compete. Right. And you, you brought up and answered your own question of the last models in 2021. It obviously didn't do well. Right. But that's not the mm-hmm. point. Like we're not talking about this is the phone that's going to unseat the iPhone or the Samsung Galaxy because you could replace its camera. No, that's not the point. Yeah. The point is it can be made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this was and this was made by people that do not have the pockets, do not have the talent pool, do not have the the logistical and manufacturing uh, footprint. The fact that the phones can exist is the simple answer to: Can Apple do it? Can Samsung right. do it? Can Google do it? Of course yep. they can. Of course can. they can. Yeah. Of and they could they probably can. do it better if they spent the R and D money to you know figure out how. But it goes into that, you know, that planned obsolescence, right? Like they're not yes. going to sell as many iPhones next year if we can all just update, mm-hmm. you know, repair our iPhone this year. Yeah. Yep. Or um, just replace a component, you know, oh, my, my, my battery's crap. I'm just going to replace it. Like the number of people, mm-hmm. I don't know many people that go out and replace their battery anymore. Right. And most, because most of what's out there is aftermarket garbage that'll burn your house down. Mm-hmm. And second of all, because it's such a pain in the butt to do so. I mean, let's just take a real quick step back in the Wayback Machine to true emphasis on that word, true user replaceable batteries. And by that, I mean, no disassembly required. You know, back in the old days, when we when we got off of our horse and buggies, um, (laughs) we could push a little slide rocker on the back of the phone and pop the battery out and pop a new one in. (laughs) Or if you just drop it from too high, it might come out. (laughs) Well, there was that too. I think I think I've talked on the show about my my best friend in college is a HTC wizard. And he had a long standing (laughs) agreement with his parents, he could get a new phone when when his HTC wizard finally died. So he took that as kill it. And then every, so every time we get out of the car in a parking lot, he would just chunk it down the, down the concrete, like skip it. Like he was skipping a stone across a pond and this phone would just disassemble itself into four or five parts. Like a the problem is every single time we could just walk up, put those parts back together and the stupid phone kept working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so anyway that's it was a wizard but yeah, yeah. So it was the the couple more i wanted to talk about another yeah. one kind of adjacent to us is um and again this is a device that is not popular most people probably <laughs> haven't heard of it but um but it exists and it is the framework laptop um, yes which is this a very one cool concept is definitely so. i i will hedge very heavily on gaining popularity but not with the yeah. general people right. um if you're bothering to listen to this show you might be one of the people who is at least semi possibly aware yeah. of it it's gaining traction amongst like the us's but we've talked on the show before it has to start there and well, it doesn't have to it oftentimes starts there yep. um i'd say if i had to give something like a survivability likelihood um the framework laptop it seems to have a better overall yeah plan together than the uh, Fairphone ever did because the Fairphone also just had a little bit more of a crunchy footing underneath it from the get go. Like I mm-hmm. swore they were yeah. going to start making them out of wheat, but uh, you know, like the, <laughs> compressed wheat. I, I, yes, I, I've been watching the the framework laptops for a while, and a they're just compellingly good kit. Like I've looked at them a couple of times, been like, huh, if I end up needing a laptop. Like I should say, the next time I need a laptop, I might have to look at that. Like they're yeah, actually compelling definitely. devices. Yeah, this is uh, cool. 
they're not by nature to your or to your point earlier they're not mid-range no it they're not an m2 max macbook pro don't get me wrong but they are good from objectively good all-round laptops yep. yeah they, and i mean it, it's it's so cool like you go on the main site right now and they're like hey everybody our new our new main boards are on pre-order so you can literally go out there and grab a new motherboard yep. and just slot and it. Yeah, slot that's... it into your existing framework laptop and uh, and upgrade i mean you'll obviously have drivers and all that kind of stuff you got to mess around right. with, but you can go in and and upgrade the processor, the RAM, and the storage on your laptop when you Even want the to. Ports, yeah, they have like yeah. little cards for the ports. Which yep. ones you want? You can switch. Yeah, you can. So you can choose which ports you want on the computer. I believe there are certain ones that have graphics as well. Like you can add graphics to them and and things like graphics chips to them that they're, or they're planning to in the future. There's so lo- there's so, just a lot of different configurations. The idea yeah. being a by that by the nature of that they are repairable like if you can swap the part and the part breaks that that makes it repairable but then it's because there's two conversations right there's the repairability conversation that's like the obvious one especially for devices you carry around you're just more likely to break them and want to fix it but then there's the upgrade like right on the heels of repairability is upgradeability and Mm -hmm. that's the one that again insert big company here they really don't want you to be able to do right because cody you said it that planned obsolescence component they've got shareholders to answer to and they need to show not only consistent numbers but growing numbers and we all know the zero-sum game that is because there's a finite number of people it's a big number there's still a finite number of people that want your product Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, I mean, that's new the, ones get born and old ones die every day. But at the end of the day, there is a finite number of people. And when you are in a true zero sum game, when the when you are in an infinite end game of growth, that has to end. It's thinking swinging it back over to Apple for a second. I mean, my my very first Apple computer was a, um, a power a Performa 6400 power PC. And that was if anybody remembers those, that was a beige box mac mm-hmm. so this was pre imac so yeah. it was just, and you can open up the side of it you could upgrade it you could upgrade the ram you could change the the um you know hard drive out you could actually add what they called back then and probably still do it probably exists in certain industries a daughter card to yep. the system that would actually increase the cpu speed um and and help offload some of the tasks mm. and everything so it would actually speed your yep. computer up and and prolong the life of your mac Imagine that a Mac you can open up and add parts to and prolong the life of the Mac. There's only one other Mac that they still allow you to add things to, which is the (laughs) Mac pro this Mm. performa 6,400 that my parents bought at Sears was not a performance, you know, high end pro system. And then, but that's the thing. When this computer came out, Apple was failing hard. Mm -hmm. They were getting ready to go out of business failing and then they brought Steve Jobs back in and he worked with, you know, fancy design people um, with funny names and created fruity colored iMacs that sold like hotcakes mm. and saved the company. And those things were not repairable. No. And then it started the whole thing was right mm. there when that company was saved and pulled back from the brink. It was because they started the this model that we now know everyone it was, is using today. It was today. baked into their next generation DNA. Yep. Yeah, and it's never left because they've never stopped being successful since then. They just have climbed up and up and up because, you know, after that, it was like then the iPod came out and then, you know, it's like it just kept 
Am I the only one that would actually buy a semi-translucent blueberry M1 iMac if they sold one? I'm waiting for them to do it. I'm waiting because they've done the colors on the phones and everything and the iPads. Like I'm waiting. I just for I it. don't think they'll ever go transparent again because <laughs> of the plastic. Because they, yeah. they want that more premium feel on all their products now. I, I want it to be true just because there's now a semi that we've gone completely I mean, off the rails, but glass. we haven't done this in a while. No, they have a set. They have a semi-translucent um, Beats Hello. case now. Oh, okay. And oh. people love to forget that Beats is Apple. Yep. True. And yep. they're just like, please let this be them playing with the mis- with the material science to bring me back some kind of. I, I just want a semi-translucent blueberry colored something. That was my that was my favorite <laughs> iMac blueberry from that iMac. time period. Was the was the blueberry iMac? Um, so yeah, looking into this topic in general, um, mm-hmm. I saw that it didn't. You know. It started before, you know, tech and phones and whatnot. Um, and one of like the early examples being GM when they started making cars, um, yep. they started adopting that they were releasing new models more often, and the parts didn't transfer between cars like Ford was yep. trying to do. Um, and they overtook Ford as the biggest automaker. So it was definitely it definitely works in a business sense to oh. to make that new model every other year or or you know it the does. new phones. And make the new model, make the parts not swap. You know, there is, if my singular goal is to sell more of something mm-hmm. and make more money over the lifespan of that thing, the logic is there. Like, there's mm-hmm. no oh, totally. arguing that from a 100% business focus, it's the thing to do. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is that it sucks. Totally. Totally. And we do deserve, you know, we deserve to remind ourselves that I am a business person. That is a, mm-hmm. that is a un- inescapable fact. I still believe there are right and wrong ways to do things. And sometimes the right way to do things is in conflict with the best business idea, except, and this is where I bring that, even that concept full circle. You're right, Cody. It's the best move from a business perspective if you're playing a short-term game. Mm-hmm. But over the longest of term, to build that kind of loyalty, to build that kind of returning customer base, there are rewards outside of just, we sold 100,000 extra batteries because 99,000 of them were doomed to fail and then you couldn't replace them yourselves. Mm-hmm. Um they're going back to market opportunities. There, there are naturally created market opportunities by saying we are going to do this differently. The irony when mm-hmm. speaking about <laughs> someone looking at Apple and saying, you know, we could think different and actually, you know, penetrate that market in some way. Those are those are not always going to be opportunities enough to unseat the major player. Mm-hmm. I don't think a swappable battery is how anyone's ever going to unseat the iPhone. But it's much like when we have conversations about AI right now and how Microsoft's whole strategy with Bing is not to unseat Google. Mm -hmm. To say it, it's not. It's to capture tenths of percents of their search business because every fractional percent is worth billions of dollars. Yeah, Yeah. that data. Oh, yeah. So I'm not saying that a easily repairable or easily upgradable phone or device or otherwise is going to be the thing where it's like, well, remember when Apple fell apart because so-and-so, no, that mm-hmm. it will yeah. happen. All the, we've said it in a recent episode, all brands will die. That, yeah. That's just a fact, but that won't be the thing. But what it does is it opens up the door for someone to capture 
a half a percent, three percent, mm-hmm. you know, a that is which is a meaningful number. It seems small, is, but yeah, it's the, <laughs> the tech GDP industry. of yeah, a small absolutely. country. Something, yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's mm-hmm. it, really we're talking about these when we're playing games at these scale of numbers, the opportunities to capture those fractional pieces of the market because there are enough people that do care. I just want to be able to replace the screen myself when it breaks. There are enough people who's like, I like this laptop. Why can't I just USB D came out? Can I, I'm kidding by the way. Yeah. Can I just put in a different port? Like that seems like such a weird map. statement you just said, right? Like, Oh, can yes. I put in a different port? Like, can you I know, put in a different port? Yeah. Let's go back to the repairability scores. My, my, my favorite hated device, the Microsoft surface duo scored a one. Mm-hmm. It so scored funny. a one and one, and again, again, the, the devices, and I will say this honestly, ruinously thin, like you pick it up and you're just like, well, at first you're like how, and then you realize the only way to make something that thin is to put half a gallon of glue in it to hold, because mm-hmm. the thing is thinner yeah. than most screws. Yeah. Like there is no way to screw this device together. Problem number one, it's really cool when you pick it up until you have that realization. The USB-C port is just hard soldered onto the board. So the, and there's no wireless charging. So the thing you physically plug and unplug every single day, in the case of that freaking device, sometimes several times a day, don't get me started. Um, (laughs) So it's going to naturally take impact wear and tear, right? You plug in, you like that, that is going to wear down those solders. It's going to eventually wear down those connection points. There is no way other than like, there's no kit they can send you to fix that. Right. Like soldering on a new port, like no, there's no right that that's a motherboard replacement. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. The whole, the whole thing. Yeah. And that's the that's the same thing with a lot of the other phones as well. Is yeah, cool. You know, your part goes bad, your connector goes bad, you know, a chip goes bad. You that, there's it's just not replaceable. The whole thing needs to be replaced. The whole motherboard yeah. gets replaced at that point, which is not really a right to repair, you know, when you have to pay for sixty percent of your phone again because you gotta buy rebuy all the technology that goes inside the shell. Right. Mm-hmm. But so one other one that I wanted to touch on is not necessarily related directly to the type of tech that we deal with that is still tech central, but um, it was one of the biggest things flying around about right to repair was um, John Deere um, in the farming mm. industry. So yep. John Deere for, you know, God, so many years has mm, been providing farming equipment yeah, for people and, you know, they would notoriously build extremely robust machines that would last for decades and be mm-hmm. repairable for decades and offer parts engines everything that you would need to keep your tractors running indefinitely so you could keep your farm running and keep producing what you needed to produce well in this new world that we live in john deere had started to put software locks on all of their equipment their tractor equipment and yep. everything so that they could only be repaired at authorized repair centers oh. otherwise it would brick the device like your your tractor would not work if you tried to do something that would trigger the software lock it would just shut down because they've got like gps built into them now because you know that way you can track where you are in your fields and all this fancy yep. new technology yeah. that they've done and the the um farming commission actually the u.s farming commission actually took them to court on it and they were they reached a deal i don't know if it was you know through the court saying you have to or john deere just approached them and did a sort of you know handshake deal outside of it but they've said that they they're committing to giving the farmers back the ability to repair their 
their stuff. And, you know, and again, time will tell if we actually see what they do yeah. with that because of the complexity of all the technology. It's not like it's just a combustion engine and wheels anymore. You know, right. with no. GPS and computer systems and all the stuff that's now baked into these tractors, it's not as easy to repair. I mean, you still would have to repair the technology part of it and the mechanical part of it separate, but they're all kind of intertwined now with how they work together. So it will be interesting to see how they actually follow up on their commitment to right. one of the most important industries in the world. Yeah. You know, because <laughs> they can't repair their tractors. They can't run their tractors. People can't eat. So mm -hmm. it's a little, uh, you know, it's inter it'll be interesting to see where, where they take it. If, you know, this commitment that they've given to everyone is actually going to bear any fruit or not. So, yeah, well, I, I think they can. No, okay. I was just saying, and Eric, to your point there, there, I can tell you there were dramatic legal and reg and regulatory pressures okay. behind large portions of that. I mean, there okay. were, so they did. Yeah. I didn't know if they class action lawsuits. Like yeah. I, I don't know. I can't speak to exactly if it was a court decision that finally, or to your point, if they, if they got out ahead of it, but yeah. it was, it was, it had built to that level. I, I, you know, farming family, um, on one side of the family and they're John Deere people. And I mean, it for a hundred years, they've been John Deere people. Mm -hmm. And, um, there, it was, it was huge, huge, like, people don't realize the size of the farm lobby. Like, like yeah. that is a that is a massive, massive collection of well resourced folks. Yeah, they and, got a lot um, of power. They, and, and they <laughs> the degree to which they banded together was pretty dramatic. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to add that bit of context there, Cody. Sorry, you were saying something too. Oh no, no, the point you made, like how it's not as easy as just an engine, right? With the, with yeah. the frame now it's, it's got, there's technology also. And, you know, even with the cars, like, you know, my dad is a mechanic <laughs> yep. type, but it's like, I'm like, Hey, this is going on. He's like, well, I know how to fix the, like the engine part of it, but this, like the tech part, I don't, you know, it's like, it's not as easy as just fixing yeah. the engine. Now it's like, Oh, well, there's a computer board in here that I got to figure out how to fix or yeah, whatever plug it something is. in and get diagnostic codes. Mm -hmm. And it's telling me something I don't understand. And yeah, there's, there's all that component to it now. Oh, is it if we want to go all the way down this one too, and there's a whole other episode buried in this, it is on the car side of things, it's at a whole nother level now because of I mean, he, hear the following sentence for what it is. One of the biggest challenges in the automotive industry today is firmware updates. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Seriously. Over the air firmware updates that they are pushing to these vehicles live. Sometimes they make it through to the car while it's in use. Oh, wow. I've spoken to people firsthand who have been using their vehicles that receive a firmware update while they're driving it. And the vehicle goes through tangible physical changes while it is in use. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of scary. It doesn't seem safe. <laughs> no, and it's not supposed to work that way. It's only supposed to happen when it's parked and off and blah blah. But they're they're always connected. They are you know, there. The number of computers in these devices has grown dramatically in recent years, especially the current generation. Um, and this is this is an industry problem. The talent pool. And I'm gonna take a shot. If you work at one of these companies, good on you, man. But I, the, the, the this is a statistical fact. The talent pool that's available to a GM, a Ford, Volkswagen. Most of that talent works in the valley. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So the when we're talking about you know, yes, the smartphone is one of the most ubiquitous pieces of technology in history. The car, it's right there. Yeah, There's a lot of cars out there, man. Oh yeah. 
And obviously a very small subset comparatively of them have this technology in them because it takes many, many more years, many more generations for like new tech to filter down into something like the cars where there's still countless vehicles on the road that are five years, 10 years, 40 years old. I mean, it just just takes longer. But the road we're going to, (laughs) very much intended, (laughs) is where, you know, computers are at the forefront of what's happening in the vehicles, especially in the EV space. But I don't mean just in the EV space. Your even your average run of the mill combustion engine car yep. still has an extremely complex computer system bolted right on top of it. And the talent pool of engineers to write that code, distribute that code, QA that code, all of it, it's it's small. It really, really is compared mm-hmm. to the size of that industry. The talent pool to serve that very important component of it is comparatively very, very small. And we're seeing cracks across the industry where, you know, one bad commit gets pushed out to all these vehicles. And it's not like it's like, oops, control Z. You know, I mean, it's, it's, right. it's not that easy. You now have, and this is a literal sense, bricked cars sitting in people's driveway that you have to send a flatbed to, to take it back to the dealership to go figure out what's wrong with it. Like we've now gone yeah, from the, that's a whole new level. I, I'm going to be tongue in cheek here. Mild irritation of a $1,200 phone, not working. I can only imagine when $120,000 car and I, and I'm, that is not an exaggeration. I know of a second directly second hand experience of someone that I, that I'd still know personally um over a $120,000 BMW 7 series was left stranded in a driveway and they had to flat bed it out of there because a firmware update bricked the entire car and it wouldn't even turn on that's crazy because yeah. they're like push starts and stuff now right it's not yeah, even like an actual ignition yeah. yeah yeah i mean it's crazy to me i'm just I get it. The technology makes our lives easier. Theoretically makes our lives better. Um, but makes our job possible. Right. Exactly. (laughs) It also adds to certain things on unneeded complexity. It seems like absolutely with with these vehicles and you know, all of the, I mean, I guess it's, you know, fuel saving measures and it's, there's a lot of stuff that they're doing that I guess has tangible environmental benefits. And uh, you know, I know, I know there's reasons behind all of it, but every one of those little things that they add adds another layer of complexity that I could never repair. I'll, I'll, that. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll be that curmudgeon. Tires give, on that BMW, but that's about it. And that's sure, probably I'll, 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 I'll be that curmudgeon. Give me, give me my key, my engine four wheels, please. I mean, right. I, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, going back to, and, and obviously we've talked about this. The phone is a very, very critical component of modern culture. It's even a, in many cases, a very important safety component of modern culture. That said, my phone gets a bad firmware update and bricks. I'm having a really, really irritating day. Mm-hmm. My car bricks and leaves me on the side of the road in the middle of freaking nowhere with oh, no service uh... for that phone to work. That's dramatically potentially dangerous. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Worse yet, it happens in the middle of driving around a bunch of other cars that do the same right. thing. And now so it's potentially dramatically deadly. Is there... Is there a market out there? And maybe somebody's already doing this and I just don't know because I don't follow cars. Is there a market out there for the like old school car? But but I mean newly constructed, yes, brand new um, parts and everything, but just a simple car, no just an engine, four yeah. wheels, there, manual there transmission. Is. There there is 
but not from a single, much like things like the Fairphone or even the Framework yeah. laptop. There are not from any names you've ever heard of. Right. right? Okay. Small companies because trying it. Yeah. The names you've heard of are bowing to market pressure or even regulatory pressure. Let's face it. The governments of the world are driving us down that path. Again, pun intended, just as much as the populace is. Right. So the, you know, the, for example, the existence of the car you're talking about will be illegal in Europe in just a few short years, the production right. of that very car you just described. Oh yeah. Cause you and need the emissions and all that needs to tech in either, there. Forget even emissions, just the, it's EV, they're mandating EVs. Yeah. So oh, okay. For new manufacturer, they're not taking old cars off the road yet, but by a certain Solely date, not as many them. years out, I want to say it's 2030 something and, and it could change, but it's not as far out as you would think new manufacturing has to be in EVs. So, no and by the Nate, yeah. and this is not internal combustion versus an EV conversation. It's just the simple fact of the matter that an EV by nature is a piece of technology. Mm-hmm. I mean, a 100%. Car, as, as, yeah. as is a car, but I mean, technology in the modern parlance of yeah. what it's is it's a, a computer. It is, it yeah. Is a, thank you. It is a computer. It is a literally a giant battery strapped to several computers that and make cameras and sensors. And yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's a computer system. You're inside a, a mobile computer system. Yeah. And actually Erica comes full circle to your John Deere point. They are hugely complex computer systems yep, totally. that are almost exclusively repairable Joe, yeah, Joe by Public's the company that sold it to able, you. Yeah, Joe Public's never going to be yeah. able to repair that. You can't pop the, the hood on a Tesla and and repair it. There's not what what's to repair? It's a computer. You get, you're gonna yep. need to take it to an IT person who specializes in whatever language that Tesla speaks. So yeah. Well, and let's remember too, you attempt to repair it. You're either going to burn your house down or or run into Hank at a stop sign the next day. Right. Again, because they are so complex, this is not, I was fiddling with my laptop and now the fans don't run. It overheats. This is, I was fiddling with my car and it drove me off a cliff. Yeah. Yeah. And these things become that much more as we get inch closer and closer to self-driving now that's a whole nother layer. Yeah. You don't, and I'm not, I'm not actually campaigning for self-driving in this, in this statement, but you don't want Joe consumer messing with that vehicle when those are the stakes, right? Because then they suddenly think they can fix something that they are not qualified to do so. And it runs through a school bus. You yeah. know what I mean? Like the, yep. Talk about those that's abstraction just, layers, right? If you're in a car, that's sure. just a computer, you're not, you don't know how it works. It just gets you from A to B. And, and I mean, this, these are things that we, the three of us and many others naturally fiddle with, right? I do it all the time. Yep. Uh, you guys will hear me moan. Oh, my laptop's being funky because I tried, you know, I tried something and it didn't work. I, it right. happens yeah. to me all the time. Again, that leads to an irritating day for me. It can lead to a deadly day. And we're talking about, you know, a multi-ton vehicle, vehicle yeah. barreling down the road at 90 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. So the, we are setting ourselves, and I know we've gone way, way, way far away from, I want to replace the battery on my laptop, but all of these conversations are connected because on one side, w- across the line, I want these devices to be repairable. In the case of mm-hmm. the phone, it's because I want to be able to fix something when I break it. I think I truly do think that is my right. On the flip side, when we start talking about things like you know cars and buses and everything else, I want it to be repairable because I want it to be repairable. Like because yeah. by because yeah. lose by nature of losing its ability to be repaired, that implies it's now become a thing that is so complex that I can't touch it with a ten foot pole, mm-hmm. like those John Deere tractors. Yeah, and 
I don't know that to say we're losing something there. I just don't know if the benefits keep up with, you know, on the, on the surface, right. It's like, well, yeah, I want to sit there and fiddle around on my phone. when My car drives me to work. That sounds great <laughs> in a way it's just turned into the cost of. Yeah. <laughs> like at, at what cost? Yeah. I mean, cause yeah, I mean, that's the thing. We're, we're losing the ability to have control over the devices that we utilize on a daily basis. We don't have any ability to affect change in them at all or, or make them work better or make them work longer. Things are no longer built to last. And the fact that you invest $120,000 in a vehicle that someone can basically tell you, you don't ever, you don't get to repair it. You don't get to touch this. You don't get to work on this. Mm -hmm. You know, when you spend as much as people used to spend on a house on your vehicle, you know, and you, and you can't fix it. You have to take it in and then pay a premium to fix it because it's been made so complex to fix. They need yep. specialists who have been trained and the parts are all ruinously expensive because they're so complex. Well, and going then, back to talent pool, good luck getting exactly. those people yep. who can do so and actually fix it effectively. Right. And then, so now the car, the $120,000 car, one chip goes bad in it and it's a $10,000 fix every time something like that happens. And, you know, it just, it becomes mm-hmm. unaffordable for the majority of people. And well, never mind that that device, because at the end of the day, now your your car has become a device, mm-hmm. is for all intents and purposes obsolete in two or three years. Yep. And then they're going to stop doing twenty thousand dollars. You know, we have this conversation all the time. You know, versions of Windows um, and and Mac OS and everything else go end of life and stop getting security updates. So if you're going to want to keep your car for longer and it stops getting security updates, and then a new hack comes out where somebody can mm-hmm. remotely start your engine and the manufacturer is going to go, I'm sorry, you were out of warranty. You know, your car wasn't getting security updates anymore. So that's on you. You should have gotten a new car. What? Yeah. Your insurance is going to say, we're not going to pay for your car because you had a car that was no longer getting security updates. Yeah. We, we want to talk about people up in arms because Apple was throttling their $800 phone because the battery was losing. You know, right. I- imagine the response to my $88,000 car. Yeah. It, you know, is it having its performance throttled. Right. It has less horsepower now. Uh-huh. Yeah. So or somebody yeah, the, the, somebody drove away with it and I call my insurance company and they say, sorry. Oh, you weren't you. patched. Sorry. Yeah, weren't, uh, that'll be in China by next week for parts. Yep. You, uh, <laughs> yep. You like did, every iPhone that gets stolen. <laughs> or you can't patch your car, so we're not gonna cover it because we're you not really should have had you really should have had EDR installed on your pickup yep, truck. Exactly. Yeah. You didn't have all the safety features. Your 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 car's firewall was not up to date. So That's someone right. was able to hack into it and steal it. And that's going to happen. That's going to oh, be, yeah. I mean, totally. it already has become a thing. People will have vehicles that have specific firmwares and, yeah. and people can take a cell phone with a certain app on it and start and that vehicle. It. Yep. Compromise the vehicle and start the vehicle and drive away with it. Like they own it. So, Oh, we, we, we buy We accidentally conclusively proved. And then again, logically it made sense once we talked it through that, um, on a certain brand of vehicle, maybe this is true of all of them. They've got, you know, these digital keys right through, through, Mm -hmm. um, Apple wallet to Mm -hmm. unlock, to unlock the car. And you can give someone a guest key. And we discovered that if, if you revoke that guest key and the car is not in cellular communication, 
and for whatever reason, it can't talk to the cloud, mm -hmm. even though that person's Apple wallet will say that you've revoked the key, it still works. Oh, no, because the car hasn't gotten up yet. And when you think it through, it has to fail open because if you're out in the middle of the woods and there's no service, you can't be locked out of your car. Right. So like when you start thinking about the, like that is such an operational best practices. You know, like that, that sounds like any conversation we would have with someone about securing their laptop. You know what yeah. I mean? But again, this is the context of a $60,000 car. So it's just, you know, it's a fascinating you know road we're going down. Well, fascinating until it's me, I guess. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, but but truly, and and bring it, you know, get all the way full circle. You know, we started with phones and laptops, and all the way up into the mass investments of the car. Heck, I mean, really, we think I think about the the talks we have about the smart home. Mm -hmm. You know, the ultimate investment most people make. You know, right now it's stuff that we're latching onto an existing building. Right, we're adding bulbs, we're adding switches, we're adding displays, what have you. But I mean, we can all agree, we haven't yet seen the smart home because the no. smart home is going to have been designed from the ground up to be that way. Yeah. I will tell you what, there better be a right to repair on my half million dollar yeah. investment. <laughs> yeah. Truly. Yeah. And, but, and that's the better thing. Better not I be mean, too smart. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. I mean, the road that they're headed down currently or have been headed down, it's gotten better with things like, you know, the Amazon devices. I'm not going to say the actual word because there's a lot of <laughs> um, You know, so the Amazon devices and stuff have made things easier with those smart plugs where you can say, turn my lights on and things like that. But, you know, a very short time ago, I was working in the industry that it was installing that kind of stuff. And, you know, Lutron light systems and, you know, and, and other brands that, you know, require a, a programmer to, yep. to get them functional. And that, that is what's still considered quote unquote, a smart home, but that still yeah. takes a qualified technician to install and to repair mm. because the, the number of times that we yep. would set up lighting in, in a house and, and set up, you know, all the macros and configuration so that they could push this button and it would turn on these lights or say this phrase and it would turn on these lights. And then you leave and they settle into their house and they go, you know what? I'd rather have it work this way. They can't do that. Yeah. Call right. the guy. Call, you got to call the person back to hook their laptop into your, the brain of your lighting system and reprogram your macros to function in a different way. And, yep. you know, not really much of a right to repair there. And that's the DNA that's baked into the smart home right now. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's going away. So we're going to have this fight's going to be on our hands. Every different industry that this happens in, it's going to eventually happen because they've baked all this into the DNA of all of them. And it's just snowballs out of control. And then they have to reel it back in when people start to complain when they want more control over it. So mm -hmm. they're having to back into it in every industry, it seems like. Oh. Bring it full circle one more time to the phones. I was thinking about, you know, fixing it, right? Literally, pun intended, uh, fixing the phones. Um, I remember poking fun at myself, speaking of diving into a pool. I had, I believe it was either an iPhone 4 or an iPhone 4S that um, spent the better part of a summer afternoon in a pool with me before I, my hand touched my side <laughs> and I realized my pocket was heavier than it should have been. Um oh, wow. Yikes. Oh yeah. Yep. 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 And, uh, these devices were not water rated back then, not by a long shot. And that was my first time disassembling an iPhone of that type and generation. And I take that back. 
No, it wasn't. My first attempt was years before that with an iPhone 3GS. <laughs> yeah. That phone was terrible to disassemble. Yeah. yeah. Horrible. All glue. All glue, couple screws, really bad. Plastic shell. And then I remember taking apart that iPhone 4 or 4S and being shocked how easy it was to disassemble. Because it was truly, if you picture that phone, it was the metal band with the glass front and the glass back. There mm -hmm. were a pair of screws at the bottom of that phone. You take them out and the entire glass back just slid off, just mm. slid and popped off. And there were the internals of the phone. I, I vividly remember this would have been 2011, probably taking that phone apart and uh, sitting at my desk at my workbench and thinking, wow, this is such an improvement over the last time I tried to replace a battery for someone, you know, some years ago, and I said 3G or 3GS. This is, I'm so glad we've come that, that these are so easy to work on now. It wasn't the next generation that that started <laughs> to change dramatically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, and I very much understand the, the, the dual nature of what I just said, because yes, the phone was not waterproof. I wouldn't have been needing to disassemble it had the phone been waterproof. And FYI, even after over an hour in the pool, I did replace the battery and I did use that phone until, you know, I literally repaired it myself. Nice. The phone yeah. survived yeah. other than the battery swelled. I replaced it and I was able to use that phone for, it was late enough in the cycle. I did not want to, because if I bought another phone, I was not gonna be able to afford the new phone in a few, right. in a few short months. So I wanted to get that phone across the finish line where I could then, tr you know, trade up to the next one. So I repaired it, but I also realized what made it at the time so easy to repair is probably what made it not able to be waterproof in the first place. But I just seem to insist on believing in a world where we are exploring you know, some pretty deep reaches of space and going to the, you know, you know, deepest you know, depths of our oceans, that there is a person out there smart enough to make a phone with two screws in the bottom and a back that can pop off that has this thing called a rubber gasket that still makes it waterproof. <laughs> waterproof. I feel yeah. like we've solved this in other ways. So, yep. you know, my challenge to the industry in the world that some seven or eight people is actually going to hear, um, cut the bull crap. Really, I mean, that's when we have this right to repair government, the, the arguments against are such thinly veiled nonsense because I'm well aware of what we can do. And do not even attempt to tell me, well, if we did that, it would make the phone whatever fraction of a millimeter thicker and people won't buy it. Again, yeah. bull crap. Yeah. You mm. put a fruit logo on it and you put it on a store shelf. They're gonna be there. This isn't, that is not going to be the year the iPhone doesn't sell. That is not going to be the year the Galaxy, the, the Galaxy Ultra flops. Stop kidding yourself. Those excuses are absolute nonsense. Mm -hmm. um, these are choices. They're choices that companies make. Um, I'm very glad that there are companies like, you know, the Fairphone and Framework out there even yeah. attempting to add that pressure. I am... I don't think these companies are feeling that pressure in the way that we would necessarily hope that they would be. But I do insist on believing that they at least know they exist. Because you know what? Even if Apple, Google, Samsung don't respond to that direct pressure, regulators are going to see that. Lawmakers are going to see it. The public as a whole is going to see it. And Eric, going back to the, you know one more time to the John Deere example, mm -hmm. it wasn't a sudden dramatic drop-off in tractor sales that made John Deere respond. It right. was the threat of massive regulatory and legal pressures. Yeah. 
and it's been a recurring theme of the show. I am not a big regulations person. It's kind of the stick I like to wield last. But we also now have well more than a decade of proof that without some of those pressures, the industry has no actual interest of doing anything more than sending you 80 pounds of hardware to replace a battery. Totally. And that's not good. As a consumer, that's not good enough. No, it's not. Yeah. When, yeah, I mean, the just to wrap it up on my end anyway, just the amount of intelligence that is in the design of these devices from Apple and others, the engineers that sit in a room and come up with the best ways to put this together, if given the ultimatum, they could they could create a way for that phone to pop apart with those two screws and replace the battery and still say, still be extremely waterproof, possibly more waterproof because you'd be able to put in higher rated gaskets or change the gaskets. And, you know, all, there's a million different mm-hmm. things that they could do if they just spent the money on the R&D to do it. They could create a device that was more repairable and better for it. But they don't want to because they want you to replace your device every yeah. time. The, totally. risk, the risk is not to margin. The risk is to future sales, right. future mm-hmm. sale potential, yeah. which I will say at minimum as services continue to grow and be ever more important, my, you're trying to grab onto some string of hope is that the need to so ravenously go after next generation sales diminishes because again, continue to pick on Apple because it's been our target throughout this episode. My hope maybe, and this is a weird one, is that m- me buying the next phone is suddenly less important than me staying subscribed to Apple One. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? So if their if their main driver for market share and growth and whatnot is that are those subscription models, is those ongoing services, then maybe just maybe Tim Cook can, you know, decide, you know what? This is a joke, but maybe we can afford, ha ha, to make these re- because like a little bit of that three trillion market. Right. Our, yeah, exactly. Our goal is now not as singularly focused on peddling the next device. It's keeping them in our ecosystem. And if, you know, allowing me to replace a battery is potentially keeps me in that ecosystem, suddenly offering me that option becomes much, much more valuable than the R&D necessary to add a gasket to the inside right. of a phone yeah. and a pair of screws. Yeah. So. Well, on that potentially very costly <laughs> bombshell, anything you guys have before we wrap it up? I don't think so. Mm-mm. All right. Well, uh, with that, I'm going to go very gingerly walk my phone across the room because if I drop it, it's a whole other problem because we're right. close to a new iPhone. And uh, <laughs> we'll wrap it up and catch you next time. Later. Later. Later.